back to the Old Testament. We see it in passages like Numbers chapter 15, verses 37 through 41. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the people of Israel and tell them to make tassels on the corner of their garments throughout their generations and to put a cord of blue on the tassel of each corner. And it shall be a tassel for you to look at and remember all the commandments of the Lord to do them not to follow after your own heart and your own eyes, which you are inclined to whore after. So you shall remember and do all my commandments and be holy to your God. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. See, this rhythm of remembrance was instituted by God with the intention, not that we can just have a nostalgic moment, but so that we would be careful to do all that God has commanded. So when we remember that we have a good God, that should impact the way that we respond to the world around us. So our prayer as we continue to navigate through this series is that we would remember that we have a great God. And that that truth would cause us to respond to this world and to others in a way that's reflective of who God is and what he's done in our life. So we're walking through the Psalms and we're looking to see how other children of God remembered who God was and how that impacted the way that they responded so that we can leave this space remembering who God is and it would impact the way that we respond. And this week, we'll be in Psalm 26, looking at a personal plea from King David to his good God, who he believes is a just judge. But before we dive into the text on this morning, I ask that you would pray for me and pray with me. And just in case you think that this is just a show, talk to me later. I assure you, I need prayer. So for me and pray with me. Father God, we come humbly, humbly before your throne of grace, desperate, desperately dependent, aware, Father, that if you don't speak, we might leave here entertained, will not leave here changed. But if you would be gracious to speak through us and to us. Oh, we feel the winds. We can see the waves. But the reality of your presence, remembering who you are, will bring a peace in our soul. We need you. We need you. And we trust that you'll move in this hour. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Psalm 26 of David. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity, and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind. For your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in your faithfulness. I do not sit with men of falsehood, nor do I consort with hypocrites. I hate 
the assembly of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. I wash my hands in innocence and go around your altar, O Lord, proclaiming thanksgiving aloud and telling all your wondrous deeds. O Lord, I love the habitation of your house and the place where your glory dwells. Do not sweep my soul away with sinners, nor my life with bloodthirsty men in whose hands are evil devices and whose right hands are full of bribes. But as for me, I shall walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be gracious to me. My foot stands on level ground. In the great assembly, I will bless the Lord. This is a personal plea from David to his creator. And in order to appreciate, to understand, and to apply the principles in this passage, we need context. And there are many different stories in David's life that could have been the genesis of this psalm. But as you read through David's life story in 1 and 2 Samuel, I believe that there's a passage in particular that really captures the heart in which this plea, this psalm was birthed out of. And that's 1 Samuel chapter 24. And I was thinking about, in the interest of time, just summarizing the first 11 verses. But as I thought through summarizing it, I realized I couldn't do it any justice. And so I'm just going to read the word. But just so that we can have a little bit of backstory before I read this backstory to Psalm 26. (laughs) David was running from King Saul. Two times. Saul threw a spear at his head, which I'm thinking, David, it shouldn't have happened twice. Once, I didn't know. You're not going to find me in a position where you could throw a spear at my head again. But two times, Saul throws a spear at David's head. And then Saul sends a hit squad to his home to kill him in his sleep. And now David is on the run from King Saul, hiding in a cave. And that's where we find him in 1 Samuel 24, verses 1 through 11. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goats' rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds by the way, where there and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. And the men of David said to him, here is the day of which the Lord said to you, behold, I will give your enemy into your hand and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterwards, David's heart struck him because he cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. Afterward, David also arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, my Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. 
And David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of men who say, behold, David seeks your harm? Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. Now, what would cause David not to retaliate against his enemy, but to release him? Relationship. Not David's relationship to Saul, but David's relationship to his creator. See, David knew that his God is a just judge. So David would choose not to take matters into his own hands, but to trust this matter into the hands of his God. And we could see that in David's response in verses 12 through 15, which are a summary of what David is personally crying out in Psalm 26. Verse 12, may the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancient says, out of the wicked comes wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog? After a flea? May the Lord, therefore, be judge and give sentence between me and you and see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. David says, I will not avenge myself. I will not take matters into my own hands. And David goes on to tell us that he believes that such a statement or such a position would be the act of wickedness. But instead, he's going to put his trust in his God, and he cries out, may the Lord judge between me and you. Now, this word translated judge does not mean to make a decision or draw a conclusion. No, this word means to decide and execute judgment. And in this particular context, it means to vindicate by delivering from the hand of your enemy. So David is saying, Lord, you execute judgment and avenge me. You take vengeance, but I'm not going to avenge myself. So because David has taken what many of us might call the high road, I think David would call it the holy road. David feels very comfortable and even confident in making a plea to his creator to rule over this situation. And we see that in verse 15. May the Lord, therefore, be judge. Now, this word in verse 15 translated judge, at least in the ESV, is not the same Hebrew word that's translated judge in verse 12. This word in verse 15 is a noun. So he is saying, David, may you preside over as a judge over my problem and my person. And we see here in verse 15 that David takes this position that God is a just judge. He says, give sentence between me and you. Preside over my problem. This word translated give sentence 
That's actually the same word that's translated judge in verse 12. Shofat. It's the word to say, give sentence and execute judgment. Vindicate me from the hand of my enemy. I'm trusting you, God, to preside over this problem. Prove me innocent and prove Saul wrong. But he doesn't just say over my problem. He says over my person as well. And see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. This word translated deliver is the same word in verse 12 translated judge and the same word translated give sentence in verse 15. Shafat, Lord, I need you to execute judgment over this problem between me and Saul and over my person. And it's here that we can see David making this personal plea in Psalm 26. Vindicate me, O Lord. This word translated vindicate in Psalm 26 is the same word translated judge in verse 12 of 1 Samuel 24, translated give sentence in 1 Samuel 24, 15, and translated deliver in 1 Samuel 24, verse 15. Deliver me. Give sentence. I'm trusting you, Lord, to preside over my person. And David goes on to unpack why he would take this holy road instead of giving Saul what he deserved, as some would say, instead of getting even, he decides to give grace. But it's because of what he believes to be true about his relationship with his creator and who his creator is. And we see that in some of these preceding verses in Psalm 26. Vindicate me, Shaphat. O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. I've been faithful to keep your word. And he goes on to say, prove me, O Lord, and try me. This word translated prove means to investigate. So David is saying, open up an investigation on my life. And this word translated try says to examine. Open up an investigation and examine my life. Well, what would you like the Lord to examine, David? Test my heart and my mind. Check my heart and check my mind. Because I know, God, exactly what you'll find. For your steadfast love is before my eyes and I walk in your faithfulness. See, if you test my heart and my mind, you'll see I've been walking in your word. I have not taken the way of wickedness and taken matters into my own hands, but I trusted you as my just judge. So instead of taking vengeance, I'm choosing to live love, and I'm trusting that you will avenge. I'm trusting that you will give the right sentence, and I'm going to do what you say. So check my heart. Check my mind. I've been living for you, Lord, and I need you to prove me. I need you to try me. I need you to vindicate me. Shafat, I need you to deliver. I need you to give sentence. I need you to preside over my problem and my person. I'm not taking matters into my own hands. And then we see through verses 4 and 7 that David unpacks the unwavering walk of the faithful. And he has his Psalm 1-like moment. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. David says, I followed after you, Lord. I do not sit with men of falsehood. I do not consort, which means I do not walk or I do not associate with hypocrites. 
I hate the assembly of evildoers. So you just can't read that. I hate the assembly of evildoers. And I want to, no, no. I hate the assembly of evildoers. Man, I won't even get in that space. This word hate is detestable. It's the idea that you cannot even swallow being in the presence of those who hate the Lord. My daughter, Mika, can't take uh, pills. We've tried every way possible. We just got to go dissolvable with her. We've tried applesauce. We've tried water. We've tried food. We've tried crushing it in half, and it still doesn't work. She just has something in the back of her throat that says when it touches and it's a little bit bigger than mush, it, it got to come out every single time. It's a gag. I hate the assembly of I can't even swallow the assembly of the wicked. It just won't go down because I choose to walk in your way. See, David was confident about his relationship with the Lord, which gave him the confidence to cry out to the only one who could vindicate him from his problem. And that would truly try him based on his relationship and not based on feelings. So he goes on to say, I wash my hands in innocence and go around your altar. I'm in your presence, proclaiming thanksgiving aloud and telling all your wondrous deeds. I'm a worshiper. I'm a praiser of you, oh Lord. And because of this truth, David goes on to make what would sound to most like a ridiculous request if you do not know who your redeemer is. But see, David is fully persuaded in who his redeemer is. So for him, it's an appropriate request that he's making to his creator. Verse 11, but as for me, I shall walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be gracious to me. I'm not going to walk with the bloodthirsty men. I'm not going to take bribes and compromise my faith. I shall walk in my integrity. So Lord, I need you to redeem me. And be gracious to me. Rescue me and show me favor. But this word here, gracious, translated to show favor, is very specific in this context. It means to vindicate, to deliver from the hand of your enemies. It's the act of giving a gift of redemption from enemies, evil, or sin. And I see you don't go and ask somebody for a gift that they can't give. My mother once taught me, and I found it to be true, don't take no from somebody who can't give you a yes. So you call somebody up, and they say, no, Michael, I'm sorry, we can't take that return. Can you tell me yes? No, I can't. May I speak to your manager, please? Yeah, I I need to speak to the person who could actually give me a yes, then I could take a no from them. I do not go and ask for a gift from somebody who cannot deliver the gift. So the fact that David is saying, be gracious to me, O God. Give me the gift of redemption from my enemy. Rescue me. From Saul, who's trying to take my life, it's showing that David knows who his redeemer is. And he's fully persuaded that God is well able to rescue, to redeem, to deliver, to vindicate him from the places that he finds himself. And so I don't have to take matters into my own hands. I can cry out to the one who is a just judge and who rightly repays those who find themselves in the position of being against him. And while the plea of David may be personal, the position that David takes to not take matters into his own hands is the same position that every believer 
and the Redeemer should take. Romans chapter 12, verses 17 through 21. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Never retaliate. Never take vengeance. Never look to get even. He does not say here, except in that one instance, when a person should fill in your blank, because we all probably have a different blank that we would fill in. Never avenge yourselves. Just need to make sure that sits in. Somebody leave here saying, but that doesn't apply to me because, you know, that person, what they did was just wrong. Never. And it actually translates to mean exactly what it's translated to say. Never. But leave it to the wrath of God. See, now Paul is not saying never avenge yourselves because what people do is not wrong. He doesn't say never avenge yourselves because it's just all going to work out in the end. No, he says, never avenge yourselves because you will leave it to your just judge. Leave it to God to avenge. Leave it in the hands of God. Leave it to the wrath of God to get even, to give a just judgment. But you and I should never take matters into our own hands. James would say it this way, the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So leave it to God. But Paul doesn't just give us this premise as his idea. You know, because I just want everybody to be happy and nice because I'm a peaceable individual. No, Paul says why? For it is written. Don't avenge yourself. Leave it to the wrath of God because of what God says in his word. In other words, remember who your just judge is. And you don't avenge yourselves, but you leave it to the wrath of God because of who God is. And then Paul goes on to quote two different passages in Scripture. You need to do a time check. My help meet is not here, and she usually gives me a timer that lets me know, okay, Michael, you got a few more minutes. She's not here, so I have a few more hours. <laughs> Vengeance is mine... <clears throat> I will repay, says the Lord. In verse 20, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, just so that we can remember who God is, I want to look back at some passages of Scripture to see what it was that Paul was referring to when he said it was written. This truth that he was reminding the believers of so that they would not avenge themselves, but trust in their just judge. And so first, Paul was referring to Deuteronomy 32. Pains me as a teacher. You know, I just want to sit down and just unpack all of chapter 32. I'm going to leave a whole lot of meat on the bones. <clears throat> we'll look at verses. We'll start at verse 35. I just, you really do, though. Please, just go back and read 
chapter 32 and, and just take some time to meditate on it. Because if you really want to remember who God is and how faithful he is, you just got to read the word. Not enough time. Vengeance is mine and recompense for the time when their foot shall slip for the day of their calamity is at hand and their doom comes swiftly for the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants when he sees that their power is gone and there is none remaining bond or free. So when God here says in his word, reminding his people what he will do after they don't do what he said they should do. He says that he will take vengeance on those who are persecuting his people. Vengeance and recompense. And it will come swiftly. And here, look at verses 39 through 41. This right here just makes my soul happy at the thought of reading it. See now that I, this is God, even I am he, and there is no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. There is none that can deliver out of my hand. For I will lift up my hand to heaven and swear as I live forever. If I sharpen my flashing sword and my hand takes hold on judgment, I will take vengeance on my adversaries and will repay those who hate me. See, now I grew up getting spankings. You could take your position on it. I thanked my mother repeatedly because I can only imagine as bad as I did live what I would have done if she didn't just give me some get right every now and then. <laughs> but when I read this statement, you know, it's one of those almost through your teeth. Like, boy, if you, you know, I like you just, yeah, it just from your soul it comes out. And so we can't hear God saying it that way, but that's just a, not as a threat to you, but as a promise to you and a threat to the enemy. I, this is God saying, for I will lift my hand to heaven and swear as I live forever. In other words, on the strength of myself. You know, we would say, as sure as the sun rises and sets in the morning, I will pay you back. No, God is saying, there is nothing greater in all of creation that I can swear by. So I swear by me. As I live forever, you can go cash this check yesterday. If I sharpen my, like, if I have to pull out my switch, somebody is about to get their behind tapped. If I sharpen my flashing sword and my hand takes hold of judgment, you best believe vengeance is, you know, that this is the way that you have to take this in your soul. So if you are a child of God, like, oh, shoot, you don't mess with the, man, you're going to get in trouble. Yeah, you, it's going down. Like, don't mess with me. Why should I mess with you, Mike? I mean, you know, you could beat me up all day, but my father, if he pulls out his flashing sword, I don't know what that looks like, but when it comes... <laughs> You, you better get ready. It's going to be a bad day. Don't mess with me because of who my father is. Right? That's what Paul is reminding them of. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. He will repay. Leave it to the wrath of God. God can spank much better than anybody else can. So, Lord, I'm going to let you handle that situation. And because we know that we have a just God who can and who will repay, what do I do? On the contrary. You don't take revenge, you give grace. If your enemy is hungry, Proverbs chapter 25, 
Verse 21 and 22 is what Paul was referencing. Give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap burning coals on his head. And this is the line that Paul didn't speak to, but he was referring to this passage. And the Lord will reward you. And this word reward can also be translated repay. Right? So if you do what God says, don't avenge, but give grace. Give somebody food when they're hungry, your enemy. Give them something to drink when they're thirsty, your enemy. God will repay you. The same God who raises his hand says, on the strength of me, I will repay those who hate me is the same God who says, on the strength of me, I will repay you if you obey me. Which is why David makes this personal plea. Listen, Lord, I did this. I gave food to my enemy when he was hungry. I gave drink to my enemy when he was thirsty. Lord, you avenge. Lord, you be the just judge. You repay. Repay Saul, preside over this problem, and repay me. Preside over my person. I'm trusting my life into your hands. I'm living love. You be the just judge. I don't need to take vengeance. I'll trust you and let you do what only you can do. But I'm going to do what you say do. I'm going to live love, even though people aren't being loving towards me. But do we always relinquish our right to retaliate? Or do we look to take matters into our own hands? Emily, you asked that question today, and I was like, Michael, I'm not going to go there. But here we are. You look back at this past year. I've had so many conversations Michael, what are we going to do? We should go out and picket, and we should go out and march, and we should go out and do all these things, and everybody is ready because they're thinking that it's righteous indignation. I'm looking at the heart, and I'm saying, no, that's the wrath of man. And you can't retaliate and think that you're going to demonstrate the righteousness of God. It doesn't mean that what people are doing and saying aren't wrong. It just simply means that I trust that my just judge is well able to repay. And so I will not avenge. I will not take vengeance into my own hands. I will live love because that's what my God commands me to do. Love your enemy. Love those who persecute you. Pray for those who would despitefully use you. Don't get even. Give grace. And as I was sitting in this word today, there were two things that came to mind. One really resonated with me. And the other, I felt like the Lord saying that this is for some people in this room today. You need to release your right to retaliate. Release the grudge. Right? Because some of us think that getting even... Some of us think that vengeance is grabbing a hold of somebody. But the truth is, we hold a grudge against somebody to get even. And God is saying, don't hold a grudge. Live love. See, because when we allow hurt to grab a hold of our lives, then bitterness starts to build up. 
and where bitterness rests and resides, the love of God doesn't have a resting place. And so the Lord says, release that. On the strength of what? Do you know what they did to me? On the strength of relationship. Not your relationship with that individual, but your relationship with me. See, forgiveness is personal between you and God. Reconciliation, that's in the next sermon series. Forgiveness between you and God. I forgive you not because of what you did to me. I forgive you because of what God has done for me. No, you don't deserve grace. You deserve for me to retaliate. But I don't get even because God didn't give me an even exchange. He gave me grace. And so I'm simply extending what I've been given. Right? And so many of us need to release the grudge. Right? I know what that person did was wrong. Trust me, I know. But I know what God did was good. And when he decided to leave heaven and come to earth, I mean, what, what do I have to hold on to that I should tell you you don't deserve grace? I don't deserve grace. But I'm grateful that he'd be willing to do an uneven exchange and give his life so that I might have life. But the one that really resonated with me as I thought about my just judge was some, yes, need to release the grudge, but some of us need to receive the gift. Because what I've seen in the body of Christ is equally as big as the grudge is that we do a really good job of beating ourselves up. Oh, you good for nothing. Well, come on, Mike. It's like, wait, hold on. Hold on. My redeemer, my just judge, has paid the price for my sins. And he does not call me a sinner. He calls me a son. Now, what right do I have to call myself anything less? than a son or a daughter of the Most High God. See, this psalm that David sings, it's a personal plea. But sometimes the personal problem is me. And I need to remember what Jesus has done for me and what he says about me and be willing to receive this great gift and say, Lord, thank you. You preside over my person. I know that I'm not perfect, which is why I'm so grateful for the blood of Jesus. I repent, I return, and I lay down at the foot of the altar. That's what Dave was saying. I surround, I sing around your altar. I stay in your presence. Because I recognize my need for you continually. So, Lord, I come and I run. If we remember who God is, he's a just judge who repays rightly. Then what do we do? We go to him continually. Lord, I'm about to, but I trust you with this person and so I'm gonna praise you and I'm gonna live love Lord I messed up again but I trust that you love me so I repent and I run into your presence that's the space that we live in we do not avenge ourselves and we do not beat ourselves up we go to the only one who is able to give a gift of redemption from enemies 
from evil and from sin. Lord, be gracious to me. That was my prayer this week. I wrote it down as I was praying over this word. Lord, please teach me your ways that I might know you this way so that I might live love. And Lord, please be gracious to me. I need you. And I just pray that you can sit with that for a moment. Sit in that reality. Is there a grudge that you're holding on to that you need to release? Is there somebody that you're holding hostage in your head and in your heart that you need to let that go? I want you to think about this and write it down. Are you beating yourself up and you need to forgive yourself? I need you to think about that and write that down. Right? And over these next couple of minutes, and just the still in the quiet, I want to invite the praise team to come back up. I just want us to be still and know that he is God. You see how I did that? That was good. <clears throat> to know that he's God. The just judge who loves his children, who is willing to redeem and be gracious. And if we believe that, then we don't run to hide and we don't run to retaliate. We run to the altar and say, Lord, here is this problem. Here is my person. Shafat, give sentence, execute judgment, vindicate me. I need you. For the next couple of minutes, we're just going to sit in this. I want you to meditate on what the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart. If you need to sit, kneel, lay prostrate, stand, you and Jesus. And I'll close this out in a word of prayer. <clears throat>